Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter, True Life Church. Man, doesn't it feel good to be in God's presence and spend your morning there on the day we remember where he did the impossible? Just one of the many times that he accomplished the impossible. Jesus was dead, but just like the song we sang, man, he's alive in us this morning. We have access to the creator of the universe. Thanks to the, the work of Jesus Christ. Come on, isn't that, something, isn't that worth being excited about this morning? Amen. And we're using Easter to kick off a brand new series called Jesus Is. And uh, so we're going to get that rolling this morning. And, and uh, it'll be happening all through the month of April and, and even a, a little bit of May. Talking about the characteristics, the traits of the God we know and serve. And, and maybe you're here this morning and, and you haven't been in church for a long time. Or maybe somebody conned you into, uh, maybe they tricked you and told you to come have a cup of coffee with them. And, or watch a movie. And, and next thing you know, you're stuck in this, whatever this is. And, and uh, listen, just like Joel said, man, it's not by accident. It's by design that you're here. And, uh, and so maybe you're wondering about this guy, Jesus. What is, he, what is he really all about? I just want to invite you to consider hanging out with us over the next several weeks as we talk about that and discover that and, and learn about who he is. So, so it's going to be a good day. Listen, proud pastor right here, our worship and creative arts guys this morning. Uh, you, what an incredible job. Can we just give them another hand? Awesome job. I do want to tell you from my wife, um, she says happy Easter to everyone. She's sad that she can't be here. Uh, Benjamin will be four weeks old on Tuesday, and we're just a little bit more on the conservative side as far as when we take a newborn out into public, and I know there's a wide range of opinions on that. That's just where we're at. We take our time, and so it'll probably be a little while longer before uh, they, they pop back up on the radar here, but I promise we're still married. We love each other, and, and uh, she's alive, and, and the baby's real. He really did happen, so, so you'll, see him, you'll see him soon, all right? And, uh, but if you, if, you do, if you know her, if you've got her phone number or Facebook, I'm sure she'd love to hear from you just that a hello or we miss you or anything like that. Don't, don't be afraid to do that. She would, she would love to hear from all of you here this morning. So uh, listen, where you choose to go to church on Easter Sunday is a big deal. And I know there's lots and lots of family traditions that could take lots of people lots of different places. And uh, you chose to come to this little church that's barely a year old and, and hang out with us on one of the most important holidays of the year. And so I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, it's a, it's a big deal to us that you're here and we're thankful that you chose to spend Easter Sunday with us in a movie theater, and hey, at least the chairs are comfy, right? So, and there's a place to hold your coffee. So it's a, it's a, it's a good deal, and um, so we're, we're glad you're here. And and uh, I don't I don't want to talk terribly long today. I just want to. There's really just one truth that I kind of want to communicate to you today. Um, I guess you could almost say it's a one point message, and and um, I, I just think I'm at a place in my life personally, and I I'm gonna. Struggle to not be emotional with you this morning. Number one, because John already made me cry during his spoken word, so um, I'm already all jacked up. But I'm I'm at a place in my life where I I am more convinced than I've ever been. I'm I'm more sure than I've ever been that that Jesus He really is He's enough. He's enough for everything. For every, in every circumstance and every situation that I could possibly encounter in my life, I've, I've learned Jesus is enough. And I've spent some time in my life at, at different seasons and different places 
looking for solutions in other places and trying to come up with solutions on my own and looking into myself and my own strength and my own effort and my own devotion and, and thinking that, that I could find a way to make life make sense and make it better. And what I found is nothing is enough except Jesus. Jesus is enough. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. And, and um, my prayer, honestly, is, is simply this. I was up till at least 2 o'clock this morning because I have this issue on Saturday nights where I get excited about Sunday and I can't sleep. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but I just laying in bed, just praying over and over and over. Here's the, here's the prayer I've been praying for you this morning, that you would have an encounter with the tangible presence and the love of a God and creator who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. If nothing else happens this morning, I hope you walk out of here, you get in your car and you go, what was that? I felt that. And that, that is my, I don't want to weird anybody out or freak you out, but that's really what I want for you. And, and so we're just going to take a second. If you just close your eyes and pray with me, we're going to pray over the message this morning. Father, I, I thank you for each and every life that is in this room, each and every set of ears that are listening to this message. And, and God, I just pray that before it's over today, before this Easter celebration is over, before we're done hanging out in this, in this movie theater together, God, that your Holy Spirit would settle into this building and that your presence would touch each and every life in a way that's tangible, in a way that's felt. I believe you don't want to just be learned and understood. God, you want to be experienced. And I, I pray that that would happen today, God, that we would experience you in a very real way. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you a story. If you, if you hang around here long enough, you've, you may have even heard this story once. Um, like the very first time I preached as a youth pastor, I told this story, and, and I'm going to take you all the way back to my middle school years uh, with this one. My wife actually makes fun of me because this story finds its way into messages and sermons quite frequently because I just don't feel like I have that many good stories, so I just re, re, recycle them. I'm green like that, so I recycle stories. So, so when I was in middle school, I was, um, I was a drummer. And uh, um, it's my, my favorite and my first instrument that I ever played was, was drums. And, and um, so I was, in, I was in middle school band class. It, it was before I realized, I thought joining band class was cool. It was before I realized it wasn't. And, uh, <laughs> but, but it, I mean, it's okay, but, you know, you got to overcome some things, you know, especially in the school I grew up in. So, but I was a drummer, so I got by. And uh, what's that? Drum solo. I will do it right now. Anything can happen for a price. So, if y'all want to throw some bids at me, we'll... <laughs> not going to happen. I had this friend, and, and, and he was a drummer too, and, and I don't know what was wrong with us. We were, we were crazy. And um, they, we had these practice rooms in our middle school band class, and, and uh, I was in seventh grade, and that my friend Dennis and I, we would, we would go into these practice rooms and have all-out MMA brawls. And we, and we liked each other. It wasn't a fight because we hated each other. It was because we were middle school boys. And that's what you do. And, uh, and, and so we would just, that I remember a couple times people coming in there and be like, why are there chunks of the sound treatment missing from the practice rooms? And we're like, mm. <laughs> don't know. So, so we would get rowdy. We'd do some crazy things. And and one day, where, where the drummers were positioned at the back of the concert band, we discovered uh, right inside the, the door of the office for the band teacher, on her desk, conveniently placed and easy to reach without getting caught, 
were two boxes, one of them containing paper clips, the other one containing rubber bands. And I don't know if it, kids don't, I could get people in trouble today. This is one of those, don't do it, all right? It's not, not worth it. Um, this is one of those, you'll shoot your eye out scenarios. And um, so if you take a rubber band and you stretch it across your fingers and you unfold a paper hook or a paper clip until it is basically in the shape of a fish hook, you can hook it on the rubber band, pull it back like a slingshot, and you can have paperclip wars. And so Dennis and I are having paperclip wars. It's quite fun. Having a great time during, because they're playing some slow song with no drums, which I don't even understand why anybody would do a song without drums. It makes no sense to me. But they did. And uh, so we're back there. And, and so I reach into the rubber band box for a new rubber band, and I discover the, the biggest rubber band I have ever seen in my life. I mean, this thing was like, this big. So I get it worked up on there, and I've got a paper clip, and I'm sitting in the chair at the back of the room, and I stretch it. It's like this. And, you know, if your hands get sweaty or oily or greasy, they get a little bit slippery. So I'm looking at this, and I'm like, Dennis, look at this. <laughs> it slipped. Sw- swear on my life, it slipped. This did not happen on purpose. <laughs> Slipped out of my hands, paperclip disappears towards the front of the room. Band director, Mrs. Wiseman, she does this. And if you've played in band, you know that means stop. Everybody stop. I don't know why it has to be this. I don't know why it couldn't just be... But it's this. And she does it just softly like that. Everybody's looking at her. She goes, something just hit me in the face. And I want to know who did it right now. I look up at Dennis. Dennis looks at me. I'm like, oh. Nobody fesses up, of course, and... The thing is, I didn't really have a track record for causing trouble, but Dennis did. I go up to Ms. Mrs. Wiseman after class. I do what any good Christian boy would do. I walked right up to her and I said, Mrs. Wiseman, I got, I got to tell you something. She says, what do you want to tell me? I said, I have no idea who did that, but if I find out. <laughs> you'd be the first to know. I thought I had gotten by, I thought I'd survived, and um, a couple classes go by, and am I sitting in a history class, and the intercom comes on. Michael Smith, come to the office, please. I thought, that's interesting. I don't usually go to the office. I walk to the office, I walk in, and they say, uh, um, the vice principal wants to see you, and her... She was, God designed her to be a vice principal because her name, not kidding, was Mrs. Scheckenbacher. And so you just got scared saying her name. You're just like, okay, I'm going to the Scheckenbacher office. I walk in and Dennis is sitting there. And at that point, I'm like, oh, no. She's like, you know anything about this whole thing that happened today? And I'm like. 
She's like, well, Dennis tells me you guys were shooting paper clips at each other. Is that right? I said, mm-hmm. She said, but neither of you shot one at the teacher. Dennis had a reputation for getting in trouble. She says, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I think Dennis is lying to me because he's done it before. I'm kicking him out of school. I said, you, you what? And at that point, I couldn't let my friend go down in flames. I said, okay, okay, it was me. I did it. But I swear it was an accident. She's like, yeah, right. <laughs> Nobody shoots a teacher on accident. I said, no, really, I did. I don't, I don't get in trouble. Look at my record, the permanent record you always threaten me with. My name's not in there. She says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, because you don't have a, a track record of getting in trouble. I'm calling your mom. We're going to give you one day of suspension, and we're going to send you home for the rest of today. So I, 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 I'm sitting, I'm just freaking out at this point, because I, I I, like I know I'm dead. This is the end of life. I was getting resaved just in case talking to Jesus, making sure I got everything covered. My mom comes, she picks me up, get in the car. She says, tell me what happened. I tell her the story. And we start driving home and it's silent for a few minutes. She goes, tell me again. I tell her the story and I'm just sitting in the car looking at her. And she's got this face. And I'm thinking, here here it comes. She's going to just backhand me across the... That happened in my house. <laughs> and I'm looking at her. I'm waiting for it. And all of a sudden, she just starts going. <laughs> she starts laughing at me. She thinks it's hilarious because she knows that I'm, I'm over there, you know, literally thinking death is imminent. And so this, here's, here's the, I know that's a crazy story and you're thinking, what is the point of that? And really, this is the point of it. What looked like it was going to be the end of my life, what looked like maybe the biggest mistake ever, actually ended up being this really cool lesson in my life because I found out my, my mom's human. Some of you have moms like I had, you know what I'm talking about. You know. They ain't afraid, you mouth off and whoop you, just, you don't do it. You don't. You don't do it. And I found out what grace and mercy look like. And so I really think at, 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 at the age of 12 or 13, whatever I was in seventh grade, like God actually taught me a lesson about what grace and mercy look like because this scenario that felt like it probably should have been the end of the world ended up being actually really cool, and, and my mom actually believed me that it was not on purpose. I mean, I did shoot Dennis on purpose, but I didn't shoot the teacher on purpose. Sometimes things aren't as they seem. Just like the way we opened the service today, it, it looked like a mistake. Like maybe we hadn't worked hard enough, or practiced hard enough, or, or planned hard enough, or prayed hard enough, but... What maybe you didn't realize until that word awkward appeared on the screen is that there was actually a plan that went into motion weeks ago in my living room sitting with our lead team going, what can we do for Easter? What can we, what can we do that's creative and different? And, and so there's a bigger picture and sometimes the issues that you're facing in your life might feel like there's not a good enough solution and it might feel like the biggest mistake ever. And what I just want to tell you this morning is that Jesus is enough to handle all of that. And sometimes 
what you need to realize is that it's not about the circumstance in the situation you're in right now. It's about just trusting that there's a God who's got a different perspective on everything than you do. Because before the issues you were facing ever came into place and before they ever came into existence, Jesus already saw far into the future what the outcome was going to look like. And I'm thankful for that. Easter is all about celebrating the miracle of Christ's resurrection. But what I want to do is I want to back up a little bit in his story, the story of Jesus Christ. And I actually want you to try, if you can, this morning to imagine what it would have been like to be a disciple, to be a, to be a follower of Jesus at this time. And I want to give you a little bit of background to go with this because in Jewish tradition of that time and that culture, the disciples actually recognized Jesus. If you read the scriptures, there's several times where they call him teacher or rabbi. And in that time period and in that culture, for someone to be a rabbi was actually a really big deal. And this whole idea of disciples, we all think like disciples didn't happen until Jesus came onto the scene. And that's actually not accurate. Because almost every rabbi, almost every Jewish teacher would select some students that would follow them closely and dedicate their lives to being the next generation of teachers and rabbis. And guess what they were called? Disciples. So this idea of a disciple following a rabbi and a teacher was something that was a part of Jewish culture already. It was actually a great honor for someone to be selected. The thing is that usually the people that were selected to be disciples were the smart kids. The best of the best. The brightest. The ones with a future. So as this Jesus starts calling fishermen and tax collectors and he says, hey, come be my disciple. And, and what we learn is they, they end up following him, respecting him as teacher, as rabbi. In fact, there was a saying in the Jewish culture, the Jewish traditions of that time, that would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, because they would, it was, they're in the desert, it's dusty there. And these, literally, the disciples would follow their rabbis, their teachers, so closely behind them. That as they walked and their sandals would kick up dust, they would become covered in the dust of their rabbi. So it's a big deal. They view Jesus as rabbi, as teacher. They've, they've spent a couple of years now with Jesus, getting to know him. They, they love him. They've built a relationship with him. It's like this, this little family of 13, Jesus and the disciples. And, and they're having this conversation where... Jesus says, hey, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter is the first one that has this revelation. You're Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus says, Peter, on that revelation, I'm going to build my church. And then he, that seems like a great moment, like a happy moment, right? The next thing Jesus does is he looks at his disciples and he drops this, this bomb on them. Check it out. It's Matthew chapter 16, 21 to 22. From then on. Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. But on the third day, he'd be raised from the dead. Now, I'm, nowhere, even, I'm not even in the same realm as Jesus, but I just want to kind of give you perspective on this. This would be like you come into True Life Church deciding you love it, you want to come to church here forever, and next Sunday I get up and I go, Hey, guys. Uh, I'm going to be here for two more weeks and I'm out. 
I'm not going to be your leader anymore. I'm not going to be the pastor anymore. Can you just imagine the turmoil and the emotion that that would cause? The church would be fine, trust me, because it belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. But can you just imagine the feeling that that might create in people? By the way, I'd never do that. They're going to bury me in Newark, okay? I'm serious. Probably be cremated. But anyway. (laughs) A little ADD this morning. So Jesus says, hey guys, you're right, I'm the son of God, I'm the, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one that's been promised. And remember, they were thinking the Messiah was going to come lead them and deliver them out of captivity from the Romans. So they're thinking, yes, we're going to go punch the Romans in the face. He's the Messiah. By the way, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. What? That Jesus, that can't be the plan. That's not good enough. That can't be all there is to it. You, you, you're telling me you're going to die. Now, Jesus actually says to him, they're going to kill me, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. But it's almost like they didn't hear that part. They didn't hear the three days later. Maybe they're just thinking he's lost his mind or he's crazy. You can tell they didn't hear it because it says in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. He reprimanded God. Jesus! You don't talk like that. That's literally what Peter's doing. (laughs) Took him aside, began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And he's actually, I can just see the disciples, they're like bowing up like, oh no, they ain't gonna kill you. We know Peter was ready to fight because he chopped off some dude's ear when they came to get Jesus. He's like, you want Jesus? Jesus picks it up, heals the guy. I mean, I'm just sure they're going, that can't be the plan. That's, it's not good enough, Jesus. This, this has got to be some sort of mistake. Can I tell you something? Sometimes the reason your circumstances don't seem good enough is just because you can't see far enough. Sometimes, I'm going to say it again, because some of you are like, what? I added this in my notes last night about one in the morning because I felt like the Holy Spirit said it to me. Sometimes the reason your circumstances don't feel good enough is just because you can't see far enough. And if you could see far enough ahead that there's a Savior, there's a Creator who's in love with you and has a purpose and a plan for you, and He's already worked out a solution to whatever it is you're facing Him, the, the only condition is that your life be submitted to Him. That's it. Sometimes it doesn't feel good enough, but it's just because you can't see far enough. I started thinking about this, this feeling of that can't be good enough and this is a mistake. And I actually started looking through Scripture and I realized that there's, there's actually several times that this emotion probably happened in Scripture. And let's, let's just do a quick journey through, through the Bible stories. Adam and Eve, the first, the first family created by God. We know they mess up. They bring sin into the world. But this, this is how dysfunctional their family ends up being. Their kids kill each other. Cain and Abel, remember that story? And I'm just wondering like, what it would have been like to be Adam and Eve. Okay, God, I know we did the fruit thing and we messed up, but really? They kill each other? This is the plan. Can't, can't be good enough. 
Think of this guy named Abraham and his wife Sarah who's well past the age that they should have been able to have children. And and God gives them a promise that they'll have children. And and the Bible says that they actually laughed at the idea. (laughs) That can't be the plan, God. No, no, no. Abraham, from you, the the whole earth will be populated. From from people everywhere, from the child that you're going to have. I'm in my 90s, God. I'm not having babies. Yeah, yeah, you will. Can't be the, the, the flood. I'm thinking Noah is out there building a boat. And he's, at some level, human emotion has to be a part of this. And he's, he's got to be thinking, what am I doing? Sawing this. This can't be the plan. A, a boat, me, my family, and animals. That sounds like a Disney cruise. There's this guy, Joseph, who we see. You guys know Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. You all heard of that one, right? The the coat of many colors. That's a Bible story, by the way, in case you didn't know. Joseph, favored of God, loved by his father, gets attacked by his jealous brothers, thrown into a pit, sold as a slave. And just when things start to look up, he becomes a servant to the guy he's working for. He gets accused of rape by the guy's wife and thrown into prison. I'm just thinking, sitting in jail, God, I thought you loved me. This can't, this can't be the plan. This is, there's got to be a mistake here. Something's got to be wrong. Something has to have gone wrong somewhere. Moses is talking to a burning bush. And I've always wondered in that story, Moses talking to a burning bush, if anybody else was around to see that. And was God speaking audibly or was he just speaking where only Moses could hear him? Because that would be funny to watch. Moses pacing around, talking to a tree on fire. I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I, I, don't, I don't speak well enough, God. I can't, I can't go speak for you. I can't deliver your people out of Egypt. Moses is essentially saying to the God of the universe, that plan's not good enough. It's not enough. David and Goliath, can you just imagine being one of David's brothers, standing in the army, watching your brother walk out to die? I mean, can you just imagine standing there, they're standing there going, oh, he's going to die, guys. Do you want to tell dad? No, I don't want to tell dad. Do you want to tell dad? I'm not telling dad. Who's going to tell dad? Uh, We're probably all going to die here anyway, so nobody will have to tell dad. And about that time, the giant falls. The Bible says the rock moved with such velocity that it sank into his head. That's a serious throw. And all of a sudden, the plan that didn't make sense starts to make sense. Because that's what God does. He takes situations and circumstances that to us don't seem to make sense and the solutions don't seem to like they're going to ever come together and he makes it all fit together beautifully and he makes an incredible picture out of our lives. Let's fast forward a little bit. A poor girl from a poor family is engaged to a poor guy from a poor town when an angel shows up and says, hey, Mary, you're going to have a baby. By the way, he's God. No pressure. We know that they had to have some moments of feeling just completely insecure and unqualified because at the age of around 12 years old, 
Mary and Joseph lose God. Jesus wanders off and decides to talk about himself at the temple. He's teaching in the temple. Mary and Joseph can't find him. Can you just, I mean, just picture this. Uh, Joseph, we lost God. (laughs) Did you check the playground? Not at the playground. They actually scold him. (laughs) Jesus, you can't do that. What do you mean I can't do that? You know who I am. I mean, can you just imagine what it would have been like to grow up, you know, being Jesus? Like, like Mary's like, uh, Jesus, we're out of flour. Can you run to the market? Check again, Mom. <laughs> Jesus, I told you not to do miracles with baking supplies. I mean, it was what? what would it have been like to be in that house? Oh, no, the dog got run over by a chariot. Check again, Mom. He's fine. They lost God. They lost God. Jesus begins his ministry and he starts assembling this ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors, losers, underachievers, the hated. In fact, the religious establishment is looking at him going, this guy can't be who he says he is because he's around all of the wrong people. None of it makes sense. In, in essence, they're saying, God, this, this can't be the plan. It doesn't make sense. It's not good enough. And I just wonder how many of us are sitting here this morning going, there can't be a God who cares about anything that's going on in my life. Because if you look at my circumstances, if you look at my situation, this is just not good enough. And I'm just telling you, man, all you need is a little bit of perspective. Because God has a way of turning these things around and making beautiful things out of them. He's hanging out with drunks and prostitutes. Even his own disciples at times are questioning if he knows what he's doing. And he predicts his own death. And then we arrive at this scene of the crucifixion. Jesus is nailed to a cross between two revolutionaries, which is ironic because they all expected that Jesus would be a revolutionary. He's dying. For you and for me, he's hanging on a cross, nails in his hands and his feet. He's dying. And we're not even sure from Scripture at this point where all of the disciples are. We know some of them are there for the crucifixion. But I just can picture, like, like if I were a disciple, I've, I'm scared. I don't want to get caught in the mess. I don't want to be the next one to hang on a cross. And I'm hiding in the corner of some house somewhere just going, God, this, this, he's dying right now. That, this, this can't be the plan. This can't be good enough. Just the the overwhelming feeling of of depression, like hope has ended. And then he commits his spirit to God and he breathes his last. And what I love about this is that that very moment is where the story begins to turn. Jesus dies. He's dead, hanging on the cross. And the Bible says that the sky turns black and stays that way for hours. An earthquake happens. And in the temple, we find it in Mark 15, 38, there's this large curtain that separated the holy place, the place where God's presence was residing. And only a few people could ever get to God's presence. Only a few chosen priests were allowed to walk into the presence of God. And this large, this curtain is Thick in the temple. This large curtain suddenly is ripped from top to bottom. Check it out, it's in scripture. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
So in the midst of what looks like the biggest mistake in the history of the universe, suddenly this thing that has separated all of us from the presence of God, from the time the temple was invented, from the time the tabernacle was invented, this curtain separated you and I from having access to the presence of God. And at the very moment Jesus breathes his last, it rips from top to bottom. Do you see the, do you see the significance there? It's because of the cross you and I now have access to. You don't have to go through a pastor or a priest or talk to someone else. The Bible says you can walk boldly into the throne room of grace and talk to a God who loves you and cares about you. I can't imagine what the next three days must have felt like. The emotional swings. Hope and faith are doing battle with doubt and depression. And I picture the disciples, they're sitting around and they're, I can't believe he's gone. I can't believe this happened. And maybe Peter or John or one of them is, hey, hey, hey guys, do you, do you remember? Remember that thing he said about raising, coming back from the dead in three days? Man, don't, don't bring that up. That's crazy talk. Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but Remember all that stuff he did? Remember all the people he healed and how he was casting out demons? And what about Lazarus? Remember Lazarus was, he was dead. They buried him in the tomb and, and Jesus called to him, Lazarus, come forth. And he, he came up out of the grave alive. Just, I'm just saying, just what if, guys? And about midnight, the next day, Three ladies run out to the tomb to visit Jesus. It's empty. They're met by a messenger who certainly sounds like an angel. He says, the one you're looking for is not dead. He's alive. Why are you searching for the living among the dead? He's not here. He, that's, that's Easter. He rose. He beat De Jesus smacked YOLO in the face. <laughs> For the first time, the entire story starts to make sense. We have access to the creator of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. We start to get this sense that it all isn't just some big cosmic oops. It's not a mistake. And here's the real miracle. It's in Ephesians 1, 19 to 20. Because I think, like, for someone who is dead to not be dead anymore, that's pretty powerful. Would you agree? Show of hands. That, you see, that's, that's a powerful thing. Powerful idea. Check this out. I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for who? Us. Look at your neighbor. Say, us means you. Okay, us. I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. What power? This is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. If I'm reading that right, the same power that brought Jesus out of a grave is available to you and I. What? The sin, the temptation... The issues, 
the circumstances, your marriage, your kids, your family, everything that looks broken, everything that feels dead, the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave has the power to speak into your circumstance, in your situation. Jesus sees life where you don't see it yet. But he's enough. Jesus is enough. His power is available to you and I. How? Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples about heaven. And he says this to his followers. He says, about heaven. It's, he's basically saying, it's great. There's lots of stuff here. And then he says this. He says, you guys know the way to get there. And Thomas says, Jesus, we don't know how to get to heaven. Tell us the way. What does Jesus say? I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. You want access to the power that raised Jesus from the dead, I want to give you three steps to it. Here they are. I'm going to go quick. Number one, follow the way. Follow Jesus. Like, really, like we talked about last week, go, go all in and follow Jesus with all your heart. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe he's not a part of your life. I'm telling you, man, you can have access to a power that can change everything in your life if you'll just surrender your life to him and then learn to be like him number two believe the truth what's the truth the truth is that jesus loves you for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him won't die will have eternal life will live with him he wants a relationship with you here's the truth some of you need to believe today he isn't mad at you He's not a cosmic ogre looking to punish you for every mistake you make. He loves you. He did what he did. Listen, God's not bound by time and space. Would he have died on the cross angry at us? Absolutely not. It was love. It was love that sent him there. He did what he did for you. Follow the way. Believe the truth. And start living a new life. How do I live a new life? There's some easy things you can do. If you don't have a church home, you need to find one. We, if you don't go somewhere, we'd love it if it was here. But you need to get involved in a local church somewhere. Get a, get a family of believers around you who love you and care about you, who will build you up. Build some relationships with other Christ followers. Let us resource you with tools to help you. You can learn to read the Bible. You can learn to pray and talk to God, have a relationship with him. And so I know, I know here's what some of you are thinking still in this moment. That sounds great, Michael, but you don't know how bad I am. You don't know how messed up I really am. And I'm really a mess. And as great as all that sounds, I don't think I deserve Jesus. I don't, I don't think I deserve forgiveness. I don't think I deserve salvation. And As much as I want to, as much as I want to move into a relationship with him, as much as I want to follow God with all my heart, I'm just so worried that I'll mess it up because I'm a sinner and I'm, I just feel like I'm made to make mistakes. And this, it can't be this simple. It's not good enough. And I'm telling you, Jesus is enough. It is that simple. He's enough. He's enough for your pain. He's enough for your issues. He's enough for your sickness. He's enough for your kids. He's enough for your marriage. Jesus is enough. 